to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. As you're turning there, um, if you are opening the Bible app, um, we were having some difficulties with that this weekend. And also, in case you tried to go to our, our church website earlier, um, it is up and running now. There were some issues, I know, early this morning, but uh, it is up and running now. So if you want to give online, you can. For those that typically do that from the website, just so you know, it is up and running. So you can keep in touch with what is happening at your church. Something that you saw on the screen that is very, very important. So lean in, listen in. Um, we have water baptisms coming up uh, for our night of worship in February. So um, if you're new to our church, fairly new to uh, this house, uh, we... Uh, we're, we're, remember, we're, this whole year is about doing things different and kind of shaking things up. So we're moving our night of worships uh, to the first Wednesday of every month. This will become our night of first fruits is what we're calling this. And uh, this is an opportunity for us as a church to come together in unity, have communion together, celebrate water baptisms, what God has done uh, through, through our lives as we celebrate, you know, the old man going down, the new person coming up, all of those things that we believe that are that are the ordinances of our church. And those are two of our ordinances, by the way, at, at Crossroads Church. Uh, we believe in water baptism and Holy Communion. And so as we move into First Fruits, uh, all of this is designed, it's an effort so that we can come and have a commonality together, be in agreement with one another. Amen? Amen? That's a good thing. You should say amen right there. And so we want to be uh, have a commonality, be agreement together. And, of course, it's Christ that, that is the head of the church, as Paul talked about. You know, we have arms and bodies and so forth, but Christ is the head. So as we come in agreement with one together, and what we're doing in the first fruits uh, night of worship, what we're doing is we are saying symbolically, Lord, we're giving you the first part of our month. Like, you know, we're tithing, if you will. That's why, that's why we fast. At the beginning of every year, that's why for the last eight years we've done this corporate fast, 21-day fast. By the way, it ends today. I'm going to shout amen. Did anybody else see on Facebook um, someone posted uh, a picture like when your pastor says, let's extend the fast, and it's like this heavy set lady running away, and so I thought that was funny. At any rate, um, so we're not extending the fast, but all that to say that um, I'm excited about uh, as we begin in February, uh, the first fruits. And so uh, the, the reason I was talking about the fast, the reason, one of the reasons that we do the fast is it is a tithe of the first part of our year. We're, we're tithing on the first part of our year. So tithing, first of all, is more than just about money. I mean, it's a principle that extends into other parts of our life. It's, it's a, the idea of giving the first, the best. Amen? Amen? How many believe that God deserves our best, not the rest, right? Not the leftovers. Uh, we're to bring God the best of what we have. And so when we tie, that's what we're doing. When we, we tie the first, when we come together for, uh, you know, the, the the night of worship and the night of first fruits, that's what that is about, and that's why we're doing that. So anyway, that's coming up. If you want to be baptized in water, if you uh, want to uh, do that again in our church, we believe that you, know, you can do it every time if you want. Uh, there's nothing wrong with making a public confession of an inward change, right? Amen? That's what sharing the gospel is. And so if maybe you're older in life now or you've matured as an adult and you want to make a, a kind of a rededication, if you will, by all means, you're certainly welcome to do that. Um, I was baptized again uh, this time last year in January at, at this event that I was at. And so um, by all means, if you feel like God is saying, hey, there's some new things happening in your life in 2016, and let's declare that together like I want to do something symbolically to seal the deal, amen, then by all means, feel free to sign up, and that's out in the lobby. And I did want to carve out some time for that because that is so, so important. Amen. By the way, there's nothing special about our water. It is from the city of Belton. 
it will not save you. And get clean with it. That's about it. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I want to ask my friend Roderick to come on up here. He's going to help me read the Word of God this morning. Give him a big hand as he comes. This is Superman, by the way. You may have seen him on TV. This is Superman. Amen. And so, brother, I've got three different ways that you are welcome to read this. You can read it out of a real Bible. You can read it right here. Or you can read it right there. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 or 2. We're reading out of the English Standard Version. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Good buddy. Thank you. I love you, man. Man. We're going to leave that up there for a moment. I would encourage you to not only read this out of the version that we read it in, I would encourage you to read it out of the Amplified Version, and we may get to that in a few moments. Does anybody remember, uh, we used to do this as kids and then did a little bit as teenagers. Does anybody remember the game of Mercy? You know, talking about that? Roxy, do you know what this game is? I don't know if I've ever taught you this. I need your right hand. Yeah. I mean, your left hand. I'm sorry. You're right. That's what I said, left hand. So, right, remember, stand up. Stand up so everybody can see my beautiful daughter, by the way. Uh, who's turning 15 in like in a couple of days. All right. So the game of mercy is right where you, you know what I'm, yeah, there you go. Ow, strong power lifter here. Game train. Ah, and squeeze. And then remember game of mercy is you try to, you push the other person back and, uh, <laughs> all right. Good job, man. Proud of you. Right. And, and then you keep going and you twist. Until somebody says, mercy. And, of course, God's like, you're just going to have to break my wrist because there's no way. My pride is too big. You're just going to snap it because I'm not saying mercy. Play mercy. I can also remember praying for mercy. If I did something stupid and my dad was coming home, which was often, right? I mean, how many believe we learn by example, right? So my older brother is here. So um, as I watch the things, no, just kidding. <laughs> I watched us both pray for mercy. And some of the words that I would dread, my mom would say, well, wait till your father, your dad comes home. And I would go into my secret place, my my war room, and my prayer closet. And I would cry out for mercy. God, if you're real, I swear I'll never do it again. Anybody ever done that with God? You bargain with God? Come on, come on. Who's real in the house? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bargain with God. And we do this as adults, by the way, not just as kids. God, if you get me out of this ticket, I promise I will never speed again. I promise, God. Yeah, until he drives away. <laughs> Pray for mercy. Pray for mercy. Have you ever extended mercy to someone? Ever shown mercy to someone? Someone who deserves mercy, like you know they deserve what they're supposed to get, but you extend mercy. Not a lot of people are saying amen because that's really hard to do if we're just being honest with each other. I pretend to be oversaved or super Christian in here. It's all right. You're in a safe place. That's hard to do. It's hard to extend mercy. It's hard to, to, to see someone who, who, who you know what they're supposed to get. You know the punishment that they're supposed to receive, but 
they receive mercy, right? They, they're pardoned. And, and when I think about that, I think about myself. I think about you. I think about us. I think about the human race uh, from the beginning of time until now, until however the Lord, the Lord chooses to tarry, is that, that we all have been extended mercy. This idea that there was something that was supposed to happen to us, something that we should have paid the price for, but God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this planet for the redemption of our sins. So therefore, God extended mercy, and mercy looked like Jesus Christ. That's what mercy looked like. Like when we get to heaven and we see Jesus face to face, we'll know truly what mercy looked like. However, Jesus is not on this planet. He's not in the back back of the room back here where the worship team meets and prays before service. He's not back there. We don't keep him in a box. He's not a puppet that we pull out and we do parlor tricks with, right? He's not hanging out in another church. Just so you know, the Word of God tells us, if you read in Acts chapter 1, that after Jesus met with about 40 days with his disciples and other believers and confirmed his resurrection, that he took his, some of his disciples up to a mountain and he ascended into heaven and the angels appeared and they sent unto them and said, in the same way in which he goes will be the same way in which he returns. And he is coming back, by the way, for his bride, which is spotless and without wrinkle, amen. And the Bible says he's coming in a cloud of glory. And if you read Revelations and some of those weird things and dragons and stuff, if you get to the good part where it says that Jesus will part the sky, amen, and he's coming back for us. Can we give God just a praise for that, amen? And so so we were extending mercy, and it looked like Jesus, but Jesus is not, he's not, he's not here on earth. He is in heaven. The Word of God tells us that he's in heaven, and, and, and theology that we believe here is that he's in heaven, he sits at the right hand of God, and as we believe that Jesus actually does what he says he's going to do, And he says, I'm preparing a place for you that where I am, you may also be. Right? He told his disciples that right before the Last Supper. So Jesus in heaven. And then when he left, he said, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm leaving Holy Spirit. And he will be with you. He's in the room right now. And we don't talk about him, right? Like the song we sing, like, we don't talk about him like he's not in the room. We talk about like him, like he's in the room. He's sitting right with you, and he abides in you. And he's the one that tells you, hey, you're off course. You need to get back in your own lane. You ever notice on the road they have these bumps, right? They're on the sides of the road, rumble strips, and they're there so that as you're texting and driving, don't act like you don't do that. But none of it in here does that. So as you're not taking it, as you're, I'm reading God's word and driving, whatever it is, as you're falling asleep, as you're not paying attention, as you're checking sports scores, whatever it is, I meant to do that. I meant to do that. And it's there as a sound to say, hey, dummy, get back in your lane. If you keep going, the road won't be there. Like you're welcome to keep driving, by the way. It's just the road will end, right? <laughs> You're going to find something else. Look at your neighbor and say, get back in your lane. Anybody ride on rumble strips on the way here? No. Dad, you do that to annoy your family or kids? I do. I highly encourage you, by the way. So in the amplified version, as we put that up there, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, of the mercies of God, to what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
And then it goes on to say, do not be conformed or do not come into agreement with this world. Whoa, 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 whoa. When you read it that way, it means a little more, doesn't it? He says, I urge you, keep that up there. I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies, right, as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. And he says, do not be conformed to this world but or, or, or come in agreement with, but be transformed, given a completely different form or appearance or change in nature, function, or condition of, right? But therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, there we go. We're, we're jumping around, but we got it. It says, any along with the superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively change as you mature spiritually. Leave that up there for me. So Paul is writing to the early church, and he's writing to a group of Romans, these citizens that, that are part of Rome and part of the culture of Rome, and that what they were doing is they were struggling with the culture in which they were lived. They just now found out and believed for the first time that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but their whole life they've been taught something else, that they were, they were polytheists, that they believed in many, many gods, like thousands of gods. There was a God for everything, a God for the sun and the moon and the fertility and, and a God for the sea and the God for the sky and, and literally gods for everything. And, and I don't know about you, but that is taxing, right? Like, and to please that many gods. And so he was addressing this idea that they're in this culture that, that somehow that, that now that they've confessed Jesus Christ is their personal Savior. How do they truly begin to walk out this new life? Like, how do, we, how do we live in this world? How are we part of this world but not become a part of this world? Right? Amen. Do we, and I look at us today and I say, the church of Jesus Christ is facing the same challenge. If you're a parent in here today, you're raising kids in a godless society. God is vacant. He's void in our culture today. It just is. And so... So Paul is addressing this real need that they have, that they're contending with themselves, and they're contending with the culture in which they live, that, that there's, this, there's this fine line between truly living and walking with God and walking this stuff out, and this fine line of, man, if I'm not careful in an instant, I'm back to the old life that I buried. Who am I talking to today, amen? So he says in verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the way. He's not just talking about the brothers. He's in the man. He's talking about the brothers and sisters. He says, therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God. Mercies of God. Angel, will you help me out? I need a seat up here. I need a seat. And so we're going to leave that up there for a second. I want to take you Old Testament, Old Covenant, Old School. Everybody say Old School. All right, so we're going Old Covenant, Old Testament. I'm not going to give you these all these scripture references because it's too much digest. Is everybody still with me today? Can we just go a little bit deeper than we normally go today? Is that all right? Feel free to lean in, adjust the the heat in the seat there if you need to, uh, to stay awake. So, in the old tabernacle, the old way of of Christian living, if you will, the term Christian, by the way, is not even a biblical term. It was a term that we gave ourselves. We should just might as well call ourselves Christ followers, but. But the old way of living, that God established this tabernacle where he would meet with Moses and eventually and others that would come along and Joshua would meet with him the same way. And then, and then David was given, King David was given the plans for the temple, but it was his son Solomon who built the temple. And then, you know, so forth, so on. The temple was destroyed and rebuilt. And, and all, all these things happened until Jesus Christ came along, right? And he looked at his disciples and the people and he said, God no longer dwells in buildings built by hands, but now he dwells in the hearts and lives of men. 
Amen? How cool is that? How awesome is it to know that the God of the universe, the architect of creation, does not stay in this building when we leave, but he says, I am going with you, and I'm going to be with you all week. And wherever you go, I'm going to go. And wherever you're at, I'm going to be at. Amen? So that's why the word says that wherever you step is holy ground. It's not because you're holy. It's because your God is holy, and he is with you. Look at your neighbor and convincingly tell them that God is with you. God is on your side. Find somebody else say, God is on your side. God is on your side, and he's with you. So in the old covenant, covenant, the old way of doing things, we're told, and let's take you very, very quickly through this, and maybe we can do a study or series on it one time, but but the old way of doing things, there was an altar that was outside of the temple, that was inside the, the main temple courts, but not where the, where, the, where the true glory of God dwelled, and there was this big place where they would sacrifice their burnt offerings, and they would, they would literally cut the throat animal the throat of the animal and they would let it bleed out and they would throw it on this huge fire and and then from there the priest would have to wash their hands and the reason the incense was burning so that when they went before god uh that the incense covered up the stench from the fire okay and from the sacrifice of the animal and then once a year everybody say once a year once a year would the priest be allowed to go into the presence of god and make an atonement for the sacrifices and the sins of everybody else. Now, if you're looking for jobs, I don't know if this is a job that you want. Because God's scripture tells us that the priests at the bottom of their uh, at the bottom of their robe, the the garments that they would wear once a year into the temple were these bells. Seriously, and he had a rope tied around his ankle. And when he went in, if God accepted the sacrifice as a sprinkle of blood upon the altar, upon the, the, the mercy seat where we're going to get in a minute of God, if God accepted it, you would hear the guy walking around in there. But if the guy's on the outside and they're holding on the rope, can you imagine being that guy? Like, ching, ching, ching. I'll just give him a second. He might be seeing it still. And you pull him out. This is in your word. This is, I'm not making this up. This is in the word of God. You read it, by the way, there's some interesting things. And so, and so this is in the Word of God. Can you imagine, like, applying for that job? Are you willing to die for others? No. Where's the box for that? God, please, these are evil people. I know it. Oh, please won't punish me because of it. Can you imagine today if we had to live life like that? We have unique privilege and honor that our ancestors in the Old Covenant never had. That they can come into the house of the Lord. They can assemble together as we do in our connect groups, our small groups in somebody's house. You can be in your car and God's presence can abide with you. Can you imagine serving a God that you can never be close to? And that you had to live under these laws and these rules and, and, and finally Jesus came and he abolished all of that. Church, that's what we call mercy. So in order for us to walk this stuff out before we can even talk about verse 2, not being conformed and talk about being transformed, we first have to truly grasp in our hearts, in our minds today that you are existing because of mercy. You are breathing right now because of mercy. Lord knows none of us are good enough for ourselves. In fact, Jesus' disciples called him good. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Don't call me good. There's no one that is good except God. So if Jesus is saying no one that is good, look at your neighbor and say, I love you, but you're not good. <laughs> Been a bad wabbit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's no one good but God. And we're here today because of God's mercies. And I really genuinely, I want you, if you need to close your eyes, if you need to set your stuff down and just be still, whatever you got to do to really, really let that sink down into where you are today, that you are here because of the mercy of the Lord. Think about that. Think about who you were before you found Christ. Come on, that's mercy. So while Jesus is not here and when we see him, we'll see the real image of mercy. You know what's really cool? When I look at you and you look back at me, I also see mercy. When you look at your husband or your wife, you're looking in the face of mercy. When you look in the mirror and you're putting your makeup on or you're doing your hair or whatever it is, when you look in the mirror, you're looking at the face of mercy because God had mercy on us. And so in the inner courts, the priests would sprinkle the blood from the sacrifice that they did. They would take the blood and they would sprinkle it upon the the, the, the ark of God, this is the covenant of God. And inside this were the Ten Commandments. There was a loaf of bread, manna from that, that God gave to the Israelites when he rained manna, when bread, you know, rained from the sky. And, and Aaron's staff was in there. And so, and, and there, there would be this covenant. And on top of the ark of God, where the, where the seraphim sat and they faced each other and their wings touched, it was called the mercy seat. Everybody say mercy seat. And so this mercy seat, this is where the blood was sprinkled on. And so this, you know, if you can imagine God's presence sitting there and the priest would come before the Lord, this blood, this sacrifice, and he would sprinkle on there with his fingers crossed, by the way. So, <laughs> you know, maybe he's shaking so they remember he's still alive. And he sprinkles on there. And if God accepted it, right, he could walk out, but he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat because that's where mercy was sitting. It was there. And then he, so in scripture, as we're reading Hebrews, as we're reading this, I need you to understand when he's saying he leads off like that because he, of all people, Paul is well-versed in scripture. Paul was a theologian. He was very, very intelligent. He, he gives his qualifications in the New Testament, but he, he, and all of his qualifications, Paul truly knew not only as a Roman citizen, but a study of Scripture, study of God's law, what the mercy seat really looked like. And before he was Paul, somebody knows Scripture, what was his real name? His name was Saul. And so Paul now looks at his old life, who was Saul, and he says, wow, brothers, I urge you in light of God's mercies, because our ancestors had to face the wrath of God. And he says, because of Jesus Christ, the mercy that has been put before you, I urge you as brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the sacrifice that was alive came dead. And so Jesus Christ went to a cross and guess what? He died on a cross. And his blood was poured out for us. 
And, and everything that used to happen for the old way of covenant for us to be redeemed, we saw Jesus do in the New Testament. And he says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, in light of God's mercies, in light of the mercy seat where the glory of God was, where, where our sins were redeemed, in light of all of that... I urge you to present your life now as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, pleasing unto God, right? This is your, this is your spiritual worship. This is, some versions say this is just a, this is like an automatic thing that you should do. In light of what Christ has done for you, now here's what you're supposed to do. Present your life today to God as a living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, dedicating all of yourself set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational act, a logical and intelligent act of worship. Look at your neighbor and say, present yourself as a living sacrifice. How good are we at that? Probably not very. And what happens is God's creation, he's saying, hey, what I've done for you, you have this freedom to walk around. You have this freedom to present yourself unto me as a living sacrifice. Living, and it's your rational, it's your logical thing to do. It's it's what anybody would think of. It's it's logical. It's duh. That's what that is. That's what, that, when I read that, that's what I, that's what I read. Duh. Like, Paul's saying, really? This is what you're supposed to do. And he says, and when you do this, you begin to learn the will of God. What is acceptable, what is holy, what is pleasing unto him. And he's saying, present yourself as a living sacrifice. God is not calling us to die. He's calling us to live. Yes, I know what scripture says, that we're to die to ourselves, that we're to... But I want you to see today, God is saying, if you really want to bring glory to me, if you really want to honor me today in your home, in your marriage, in your finances, in your career, won't you live? Why don't you live like someone who's free? I want you to live like someone who's been redeemed. I want you to live and breathe and move and have your being like someone who has been set free. Like if you were locked up in jail for the majority of your life and to know what it was like to be the door swung wide open and, and the judge just said, hey, everything that you did is wiped, it's, it's clean. I, I've forgotten, in fact, what you did. We, we destroyed the records. Amen? And the records were destroyed and everything that was written against you, it was wiped away. And, and he's saying, now I'm calling you to live. And we have so much of the body of Christ, so much of God's people, and, and not just this church, but God's church in general. We have so many of us living under condemnation. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and called according to his purpose. Amen? But so many of us live under condemnation. And what I was saying earlier that we're sons and daughters, I mean that. And so Jesus Christ paid this price so that you and I can live. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time you start living. That's pretty weak. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time you start living. And so now we have this opportunity to really, truly start living. What would 2016 look like, church, if we started living like free people? What would our worship look like if we started worshiping like free people? Amen? What if next time you read God's Word and you cracked open the Bible and you began to read it, and as you read it, I... I appeal to Matt, brothers, 
I appeal to myself, brothers, by the mercies of God, that I'm going to present myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And Matt will not be conformed to this world, but Matt will be transformed by the renewing of his mind, that by testing, Matt may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You hear my heart today, church. You are free. Can we give God a praise today in this place? You're free. And so God has this mercy seat. He's got a place where we can go and we say, God, I need forgiveness. I need to be redeemed. I need to know that you have freed me, that you died for me. I need that confirmed in me today. Maybe some of you here today, when I'm calling you a son or a daughter, that is so foreign to you. Like you still are struggling. You're like 20 minutes ago to now, you're still struggling with that idea that you're a son or a daughter. You don't see yourself that way. This is what I'm talking about living. We start living and seeing God's word through his lens, through his stuff, through his eyes. It matters. It makes a difference. Amen. We're talking about changing this year. We're talking about doing things different this year. Then let's do it differently. Let's start living. You really want to irritate the devil? I do. I love irritating him. He irritates me enough. I want to irritate him back. And a great way to irritate, agitate, and really just mess him up is to start living free. Start worshiping free. I mean, start living free. Start walking around like a free person. Amen? Some of us need our spiritual swagger back. You know what I'm talking about? You can see the difference between a believer who knows they're a son and they're a daughter and a believer who's struggling with that. You can pray with someone and you say, wow, man, when they pray, man, like, I feel like heaven just invaded us. It's because they know their sonship. They know that their daughtership. They know who their, who their dad is, right? And so as Paul looked at his church, I'm looking at my church today and saying, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you. I urge you in light of God's mercies to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, and not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can we do that today? Can we start walking that out? Amen? How awesome that is if we all together, every one of us in here, probably close to 300 of us in here, we start walking that out today. You know what? I refuse to conform any longer to this world. You know what the word conform means? It means to come in agreement. That's literally what it means. It means to come in agreement with it. So when you conform to this world, you're exchanging the truth for a lie. That's what happens. You're exchanging the truth for a lie. You stop believing in God's word and you start conforming to this world. But what would it look like if you truly started walking this out today? You know what, devil? I used to conform, but I'm just not going to conform anymore to what you have for me. I'm not going to believe your lies. I'm not going to believe the stuff that you've been telling me. If I heard Pastor Matt say it and it's settled in my heart today, I'm a son and I'm a daughter. And so I don't have to conform. Amen. Give God a praise to that. But... But I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Let's stand to our feet all across this place. Let's sing it out. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Believe it today as you sing it. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this moment. You've been good to us. And we thank you for your mercies. Come on, church. Why don't you say it out loud? Lord, I thank you for saving me. Thank you that I didn't get what I deserved. 
thank you that the devil wanted me to pay for my stuff, but, but you sent Jesus to pick up the tab and pay for my sins and to redeem me and to ransom me and to set me free. So thank you for the mercy that you have shown to me. And I pray today that I would extend the same mercy that was extended to me. That I will forgive as you forgave. I will love as you loved. I'll truly start walking this out today. I'm going to ask our prayer partners, our staff, our elders, our prayer partners to quickly join me at the front. If you're guests with us for the first time today, we take an opportunity every Sunday morning to extend to you an opportunity to kind of seal the deal, to book in what Dad has been doing in your life. All I can do is present to you the food. It's up to you to kind of take it and digest it. What would it look like today if you truly start walking this stuff out? We're talking about being different about doing different things. Maybe you've never come up to the front to pray or to have someone pray with you. Then do something different. Why leave doing the same thing you've always done? We're going to continue to worship. I'm going to give you a formal dismissal.